Get your fill of baseball news and beer reviews at foulballarea.com. Follow our blog for the latest news around the baseball world and read about some of our favorite ballpark beers. Tune into the podcast every Wednesday as we take a deep dive into the topics of the day. Stay connected by signing up for our mailing list or following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Foulball Area. Now, here's today's episode of the Foulball Area Podcast with Matthew Atkins and Trey Lyle. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Foulball Area Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Atkins. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's edition of the podcast. My co-host, Trey Lyle, could not be with me this week, so you get me going solo for a little bit. But we do have something special coming up a little bit later that I think you're going to enjoy. Trey was able to sit down with a guest, a friend of the podcast, and talk about a, a pretty relevant topic, something that's been in the news a lot recently in Major League Baseball. So that's coming up in just a few minutes, but I do have a few things that I want to go over before we get to that. Starting off in the National League West, the San Francisco Giants, who have been in first place pretty much all season long, a team that I have really believed in since the beginning of the season. Trey and I had an episode a few weeks into the season, maybe a few months in, where we were guessing if teams were contenders or pretenders, and I said that I thought the Giants were going to be contenders. I said that I liked the way they were playing. I thought they looked like a really good, solid team, and I thought they were going to stay in contention all season long, and so far they have done just that. They've been in first place in the National League West all season long. But recently, they have fallen. The Giants hosted the Milwaukee Brewers in a four-game series this week in San Francisco. And they lost the first three games of that series against the Brewers. And now Milwaukee is a very good team. They're a really underrated World Series contender this year because they've been playing very good baseball. They've got a very talented team. And not a lot of people are paying attention to them. They're a team that could make a legitimate run at a World Series championship this October. So it's not like some some nobody is going into San Francisco and smacking the Giants around. No, this is the Brewers. They're a very good team. And they took the first three games out of this four-game series against the Giants. Meanwhile, the Dodgers were playing the National League East leading Atlanta Braves, my favorite team who have kind of turned things around recently. They are still in first place in the NL East, but the Dodgers swept them in Los Angeles. And now with those two series going on at the same time, the Giants losing three straight games to the Brewers and the Dodgers sweeping the Braves, that put the Dodgers half a game ahead of the Giants in the National League East for the first time since, I think, April 28th, the Dodgers were in first place. The Giants had been dethroned in the NL West and the Dodgers had taken their place. Now, just just a few weeks ago on the podcast, I think that I said to Trey, that I I believed in the Giants. I thought they would end up winning the division at this point. Even though my preseason World Series prediction was the Dodgers, and I still think the Dodgers are going to win the whole thing. But I told him that I thought the Giants would end up winning this division. Let's take a listen. I think I've got to give it to the Giants. They've just been playing really, really well this year. They don't have many stars in this lineup, many big bats, you know, no one guy that you look to to get a big hit all the time, but they've just got a really solid team and they're playing team baseball. So I'd give it to the Giants. So I really thought the Giants 
had a solid team, and they still do. I'm not. I mean, they're still a very good team, but they have been struggling recently. And this series against Milwaukee could not have come at a worse time for them. And then keep in mind the series prior to this one, they played the Braves in Atlanta, and they lost two out of three there. So the Dodgers have just been continually making ground on the Giants, and it just so happened that these two series matched up at the same time where the Dodgers were sweeping the Braves in Los Angeles and the Giants lost three games to the Brewers in San Francisco. And it just so happened that with those two series going on at the same time, the Dodgers were able to catapult themselves over the Giants and leap into first place in the NL West. It didn't last too long, though, because on Thursday, the Dodgers had an off day and the Giants ended up winning game four of that series against Milwaukee. So now they are back to a tie for first place in the NL West. But still, it's a very significant point that the Dodgers have climbed back and they have gotten to at least a tie for first place in the NL West because the Giants have had a tight grip on this division all season long. And they're not the team that at the beginning of the season we expected to win this division. But as the season went on, as they stayed in first place, I began to think that they were really going to win this division. They were really going to stay atop the NL West. But now the Dodgers have showed that they're still a force to be reckoned with. They're still the Dodgers. They've got probably the best lineup in all of baseball, one of the best rotations in all of baseball. And now they're here in first place, and they're not going away easily. It's going to be a very, very fun division to watch over the next month. Now, this topic that I alluded to at the beginning of the podcast that Trey is going to be talking about, the New York Mets. We've talked about them probably every week for the past month. They made all kinds of moves over the offseason. Signing James McCann, bringing in Francisco Lindor, signing him to a long-term extension, getting a new owner in Steve Cohen. Things were looking up for the Mets. They were in first place in the NL East for a long time. I mean, a month ago, the Mets were in first place. Atop the National League East, ahead of the Phillies and the Braves. And somewhere... It just all went wrong. They weren't playing good baseball anymore. They started losing games. They couldn't put together any kind of win. And they fell. They fell hard. They're currently sitting at third place in the NL East, five games behind the division-leading Atlanta Braves. So not a good position for the Mets to be in, considering that just a month ago they were in first place. So that's the issue with how they've been playing. Then this past week, Javi Baez is making thumbs-down motions on the field when he gets a big hit. So is Francisco Lindor and Kevin Pillar. After the game, I think it was Sunday, after the game, reporters asked Baez what this thumbs-down motion means. And basically he says that fans have been booing the team when they started playing poorly. And so the team is going to turn it right back around on the fans and boo them when they have success. So anytime the Mets get a big hit, these players... The, the notable ones that did it are Baez, Lindor, and Pilar. They turn around and they give a thumbs-down motion to the fans. Well, obviously, that doesn't sit well with the fans or the media, so they get dragged for this. And they're in New York. You know, Baez and Lindor, this is their first year playing in New York, so they don't really know how to interact with the New York media, which is ruthless. So they get dragged by the media and the fans for this, rightfully so. They come out the next day and they offer half-hearted apologies, saying pretty much, I'm sorry if I offended you. That's not a real apology. So they clearly are not being sincere. They don't mean it. They don't care if they offended you. 
They just care that people realize what they were doing. And the dumbest thing is that no one knew what they were doing until Baez willingly told reporters what the thumbs down motion meant. So they're getting criticized for this. But then they turn it around, they win a couple games. Things maybe are looking up for the Mets. And then on Wednesday, their general manager, Zach Scott, is arrested for drunk driving. Now keep in mind, he's their second general manager of the season because they had Jared Porter as their general manager in spring training and at the beginning of the season, but he was ousted after he was accused of sexual misconduct. So they're on their second general manager of the season, and he gets arrested for drunk driving. And then, so so, so nothing's going right for the New York Mets. And I just think about how tough it would be to be a fan of this team and watch them continuously shoot themselves in the foot, continuously have high hopes for them, and then never deliver. So Trey sat down with a friend of ours, Andrew Alex co-host of The Drive at ESPN Blacksburg, graduate of Virginia Tech, former classmate of ours, and a Mets fan. So Trey sat down with him and talked about what it's like to be a Mets fan and watch this train wreck of a franchise. Welcome to the Foul Ball Area Podcast, this special part of the podcast. I'm joined by a good friend of the show, Andrew Alexson. First off, Andrew, uh, how are you doing? And uh, we'll get into your favorite baseball team in a matter of moments. I'm doing well, Trey. You know, it's game week here in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech, North Carolina on Friday night. And it seems like ever since everything went south in March of 2020, my light at the end of the tunnel has been a full packed lane stadium, Virginia Tech football. And it's here. It's here. It is at the time of this recording on Thursday afternoon, the 2nd of September. We are somewhere around 27 hours away from enter Sandman, from kickoff and the start of football. But obviously in this profession, for me, that means a lot of work doing game previews, you know, show five days a week, all kinds of podcast appearances and my own podcast. So I feel like I've talked about this game so much that it just needs to get here. So hopefully today will be a little bit of a, uh, a break, a little bit of a change of subject. Unfortunately, we're not going to be a, uh, talking about a subject that necessarily has kept me calm over the course of the month of August, at least. Just August? What about like the second half of the season where this collapse, they just, the collapse has happened? Uh, Well, I will say that if you, you know, in June, they were 10 games above 500 with a five game lead or with like a seven game lead in the division, something like that. They were one of the better teams in baseball at that time. You know, they weren't the Dodgers, they weren't the Giants, they were injured, they were doing well, and they hadn't necessarily been able to create create a massive separation in their division, but there was a nice little five game pad there. And you thought based on the injury situation around the team, well, Hey, this team's going to be on, you know, at full strength here, second half of the season, what could possibly go wrong? Paul Van Wagner, who who you know, and love, and you know that he likes to pick on his, his friends and his employees was always saying, Andrew, you know, every day after work, when you go back and spend three hours a day watching the Mets, It's all going to be pointless because come August 1st, they're going to collapse. And we got to August 1st and things were trending downward. But up to that point, they were still able to hold a three, four game lead over the Philadelphia Phillies. The Braves were in third place at that time. So I was like, okay, 
Can they keep their heads above water? The answer, of course, was no. The Mets went out, lost 19 of 24. And they went from having a, you know, in, in short order, having a seven-game lead in their division to now sitting in third place with a seven-game deficit and uh, obviously time working against them. So it was swift, so swift that it's almost hard to process. But here I am, and I'm just same old story, same old song and dance of Flushing Queens. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, what happened? Uh, that's kind of the feeling around this team. And I mean, the kind of sum of their season was this week. And then obviously, you know, a positive news trade thing for Javi Baez. Granted, you already have a really good sec- uh, shortstop, but Javi Baez has been on record saying he wanted to play with Francisco Lindor. How do you, before we talk about what he did this week and, and all the actions around the team, how do you feel about that trade at the deadline? Oh, at the deadline, I I thought it was a halfway decent trade. I was very excited about it. I mean, you figured that the Mets would have probably one of, if the not best, middle infields in baseball. And that's talking about what they can do in the field and what they can do at the plate. Baez, I had known about his strikeout issues. I guess I didn't really process what it would be like watching that and having to rely on a player who swings at pitches 20 feet before they reach the plate sometimes but the power was there and that's what they needed was was an offensive spark plug uh and for Baez on the field a slow start since he came off the IL he's been playing a little bit better we know what he did a couple nights ago scoring that game winning run in that four uh four run comeback in the ninth inning should I say five run comeback they were down by four and they ended up winning in the inning so he's a good player but unfortunately uh, the off the field circus uh Makes me think that he's not cut out for New York. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens uh, this offseason after some comments by the owner, uh, Scott Cohen, who's been one of the most vocal owners in a short period of time. You know, granted, uh, Matt's fans feel very hopeful about it, but let's go to this week. So Javi Baez breaks out the thumbs down. In my opinion, that's a ripoff of Todd Frazier from years ago with the Yankees to say, if you're the Mets fan, you're going to boo us for, for not playing well, then we're going to boo you when we play well. What did you think of that? I mean, I, I found it to be cheap. You know, I didn't you – know, some people want to burn the house on fire. And I say, look, it's not that big of a deal, but it makes me think that these players, their head's in the wrong place, right? You're out there, and, and this team fails to score three runs – what seems to be the majority of the time, you know, the Mets have a very passionate fan base. And ever since 1986, it seems like it's, I'll put it this way. The off the field scandals from Mr. Met flipping off the fans to this seem to largely outnumber the high points. And these are hardworking New Yorkers. Many of them, people who aren't necessarily multimillionaires, you know, your firefighters, your school teachers, your police officers, and they go out and spend their hard earned money to go watch the Mets and sit back and drink a beer and relax and hope to get entertained. What the fans want to see is a competitive baseball team and Trey for the vast majority of the second half of this season, the multimillionaires on the field have been unable to provide that to them. This is New York. I'm sorry, Francisco Lindor, you are not in Cleveland anymore. But these fans will 
elevate you to godlike levels if you are playing well. But unfortunately, the boo birds will come out if you are not playing well. So to me, there seems to be a solution. And that solution is play better and maybe understand the situation that you're in, in the case of Lindor, when you're going to sign a 10-year contract there. I think Derek Jeter put it the best. And Trey, you might not remember this. We were both very young, but I read about this the other day. In 2004, Derek Jeter apparently had a nasty hitless streak. He went like 30 or 40 plate appearances where he had, or at-bats, I should say, where he had maybe one hit, two hits. Worst streak of his career. The Boo Birds came out. And at that point, Derek Jeter was already Derek Jeter. He was the captain. He was the face of the Yankees, who at that time were still far and away the brand in professional baseball. But when the New York media asked Derek Jeter about it, he basically came out and said, I'm not going to change the fans' minds with my words. I have to go out there and give them what they want. I need to hold myself to the standard of the New York Yankees. And I'm confident that when I do that, they will love me again. New York fans just want to see the team win. I think you can say that all fans just want to see the team win. Even fans of the Pittsburgh Pirates don't necessarily go out there to watch the team get blown out every night. It just tends to happen more often than not. And you come to terms with it, but the Mets, showed for the first half of the season, this was a team that could score runs in spots, a team that was positioned for from like May 1st until August 1st as the number one team in the National League East Division. And then it all came crashing down. These are highly paid players. They're obviously better than what they're putting out on the field. And the Mets fans decided to let them know that. The Mets fans decided to let them know that going out and watching them on a night-to-night basis was a waste of money. Am I a booing guy? Not necessarily. There are situations where I have booed. For example, when the Mets signed Jason Bay and he was immediately terrible. I still have nightmares about Jason Bay. But nonetheless, it's exemplified in what happened in Javi Baez's first game after the scandal now obviously he walked out there and he got showered with booze in his first couple at bats but come the ninth inning with the game on the line he had a single that scored a run to keep the inning going and ultimately he used his own hustle came around third scored the game-winning run the Mets win and those boos and thumbs downs turned right around and the fans loved him again do you know why because the fans want to see the team win when you win that solves all your problems. So yeah, maybe don't take it so personally. This is your job. This is what you signed up for. You're a professional baseball player who gets paid millions of dollars per year. Do I want Javi Baez back in New York? No. But I think for me, it's more important that Francisco Lindor, his buddy boy, learns what he's gotten himself into because it seems that this is going to be an arrangement that's going to be in place for quite some time, Trey. Well, you know, positive, you, you, the, it appears, you know, they as we record this on Thursday afternoon, they have one more game against the Marlins to try to win four in a row. Uh, but also, Zach Scott, their acting GM, after their first GM gets fired for implicit photos uh, uh, sent to reporters when he was in Chicago, gets charged with a DWI. Literally today that happens. In the words of my co-host, Matt Atkins, the Mets are going to met. What? Like, how does that happen? Is that just the Mets being the Mets? 
I mean, I don't necessarily want to put that on the Mets. Obviously, it's an extremely bad look. I feel like a lot of people are willing to go out and dunk on the guy online, but you never know. The guy could have a drinking problem. This could be a point of realization for him. But uh, I will say that in his position as the acting GM who is looking to be extended into the full-time GM, doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore. You know, when, when we're talking about the Mets, it all comes back to Steve Cohen these days, Trey, and that's for obvious reasons. He's come. He's made himself very vocal over the course of the season. He almost has a Steinbrenner-esque personality, but in the same way, he's also, I think far and away, the individually wealthiest owner in baseball. Theo Epstein's on the market. Theo Epstein is potentially looking for a job. Theo Epstein has been the guy in Boston and in Chicago to turn around franchises that have been reeling for years and years and years. If the Mets need to make an overall culture change, which I believe that they do, and in the first year of new ownership, it's a tough ask to say that you're going to turn everything around right away. But Steve Cohen didn't buy the team to win in year one. He bought the team to win eventually. He said that his goal would be to win in the first 10 years. Well, if you want to have a swift culture change like that, you need to bring in people that have won before. I think Theo Epstein would be a great addition there. And then as for the managerial position, barring, you know, the Mets coming back and winning the division or something like that, which, which let's be honest, is near impossible. It would require both them to go on a massive run, which isn't necessarily out of the question, given that their next 10 games are against the Marlins and the Nationals. But it would also take Atlanta to go into a downward spiral, Philadelphia as well. I just I just don't see it. I would, I would say that the, the chances of that probably linger around one in 100. So yeah, Rojas out the door and, you know, bring in a manager with, with some experience. And, you know, I'm not saying you have to go hire Tony La Russa like they did in Chicago. Not that that hasn't worked out. That was a hire that a lot of people scoffed at at the time as well. But bring in someone who's going to bring in a culture of winning. I don't know who that is right now, but the Zach Scott thing, if nothing else, indicates the need for culture change from the top down. And Steve Goins, the guy, the guy with the power to do it. So he's got to, you know, more actions, less words, right? Do you believe in Steve Cohen? I believe in the power of the dollar, Trey. Uh, so, yes, I do believe in Steve Cohen. I hope. So it, it, it's kind of a give it a take for me, right? Do I think it's kind of awesome that the owner like live tweets the games? Yes. Do I think that too much of that could be a bad thing in terms of getting in his own players' heads? Also, yes. But overall, the you know, the for my entire like real competent lifetime of watching the team, which probably dates back to around 2007, 2006, when I could really process what was going on in the field, where I have genuine memories of the games themselves. The Mets, despite being in New York, were really playing like a middle market team because of the fact that our idiot previous owners lost all their money in the Bernie Madoff scandal. I don't want to talk about that. They were also just generally idiots. It wasn't good. Steve Cohen is a guy who has the financial backing to if you can get the the farm system in place, which it seems the Mets have some promise there. I mean, they also have Alonzo McNeil, Dominic Smith, and a few others 
locked down on contract on their rookie contracts for a few more years. There could be a window of opportunity there. If you go out and make the right signings, you make the right trades and, and some of the guys from the farm system come up. I believe that Steve Cohen has the wherewithal to wait for the right moment to make that splash in the way that the Los Angeles Dodgers did at the end of the last decade. Well, you heard it here, Andrew. And uh, one more question for you. Do you think the Mets can win this division or you think the Braves have basically just taken it over? And pretty much like I said before, Trey, I'd put the chances at around 1%, maybe 2%. If, if this wasn't a seven game lead right now, if say if this was a, a four game lead, it's actually oh, it's five. five. It's, it's five. five now. Oh, did the Braves lose last night. They did. Ooh. They played two games that they played the Dodgers. And now bad news. Is oh, they, I so. missed that. Wow. Well, still, I really don't think. But the that Phillies, good. Phillies are ahead of them. They're two games back. Yeah. I mean, okay. Maybe I'll, I'll bump from 2% to 8%. Still not very high. It would require, again, can, does this negative moment with Javi Baez turn into something where the Mets are able to take the momentum of the big four run comeback win in the ninth inning and really catch fire here against a Marlins team that can pitch, but overall not very good. And a nationals team that is just a shell of what it was going into the season. I mean, if they can in the next 10 games that they play, these teams if they can go out and win seven or eight and, and cut that to three going into the final you know 20 days of the season i'll be watching but obviously the mets had the opportunity during this period of time during and you talk about how the mets collapse really started in july and i don't really acknowledge that it started until august because it was easy to ignore it because those other teams were losing too the mets lost a series to the pirates during that period of time they had every opportunity in the world knowing that they had 14 straight games with the giants and the dodgers in early august to create some separation in that division which would provide them some leeway going into you know that real tough stretch they did not do that they lost a couple series in a row and because of that my my thermometer on, on their chances of being able to really just run train and roll through the marlins and the nationals isn't very high i mean the saying in mets culture is you got to believe you got to believe you got to believe but do i believe right now not particularly. Well, Double A, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, how can uh, our listeners get more content from you? I know uh, ESPN Blacksburg's tuning out some great stuff, as well as you have like multiple podcasts. So if you're a football fan, you know if you want to hear baseball talk from Andrew, go to the listen to the drive. But uh, he he has plenty of college football content as well. Yeah, yeah, you can check me out on ESPN Blacksburg Monday through Friday, 4 to 6, The Drive with Paul Van Wagner, Trey Lyle, an alumni of The Drive. That's where uh, my first uh, radio compadre there, so some great memories with that. Uh, also, on Tuesday nights on ESPN Blacksburg, I go around the ACC with Steve Adams, great guy, voice of the Blacksburg Bruins. Used to, actually, I know many of you are uh, familiar to the Richmond area, I assume, given that's uh, – Trey and Matt's hometown. Matt lives there now. He's from Matt lives there now. Okay. So yeah, he used to have a show on ESPN uh, Richmond back in the day doing tech stuff. He's brought that concept to ESPN Blacksburg Tuesday nights, 
six to seven. We're going around the ACC. And then two Virginia Tech football podcasts. I do Inside the Tunnel with VT Scoop, 24-7 Sports on the CBS Sports Network. Uh, that's one episode per week coming out usually on Tuesdays. Do that with Batasis, Evan Watkins, and Doug Bowman. And then, of course, the Hokie Hangover podcast, two episodes a week usually either Monday and Wednesday or Tuesday and Thursday. I do that with Ricky the Blue and, of course, my good friend Mike McDaniel. And if you are ever in Blacksburg for a game day, the Hokie House pregame show we broadcast live from Hokie House uh, usually starts three hours before the game. If you're coming for Friday's game, I don't know when this episode is going to be released. Come on out to Hokie House, 5 o'clock. We're going 5 to 5.15 in anticipation for Virginia Tech's big kickoff against North Carolina. But, Trey, thanks so much for having me, brother. Thanks so much to Andrew Alex for joining Trey this week and talking about life as a Mets fan. Send your thoughts and prayers to all the Mets fans that you know in your life. It's got to be tough. It's got to be tough. Every year, they think it's their year. Every year, they think it's going to happen. And they always underdeliver. I would imagine that's what it's like being a fan of Tennessee football as well. It's a nice segue because this weekend is the first real weekend of college football. Of course, there were a couple of games last weekend, but... Pretty much every team in action this weekend. All the big games going on. Georgia and Clemson, Alabama, Miami, Trey and my Virginia Tech Hokies taking on UNC tonight in Blacksburg. Should be a good matchup and a good way to kick off the Labor Day weekend. Whatever you're doing this weekend, I hope you have a good holiday with your friends and family. I hope you stay safe, whether you're grilling out, going to a college football game, going to the beach, whatever you're doing. I hope you stay safe and have a happy Labor Day weekend. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the podcast. We'll be back next week. Trey will rejoin me for the next episode of Foul Ball Area. Thanks for listening to the Foul Ball Area podcast. Make sure to leave a review and a rating wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so you get new episodes as soon as they come out.